This is Josh. I'm Lewanika. And I'm Glenn. Tabletop Journeys is made up of a team of lifelong role players, storytellers, and friends. Together, we have more than 75 years of experience in countless role-playing game systems, but at the end of the day, Dungeons & Dragons is where we call home. We formed Tabletop Journeys so we could do what we love, create epic adventures in fantastic lands with amazing people. We bring our player-driven, story-first game style to everything we do, and we would love to help you, player or storyteller, get the most out of your campaign's narrative, player characters, and NPCs. Make sure you listen to our podcast to catch our take on the D&D core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. We also explore other RPGs and the countless places that we find role-playing inspiration. Soon, we'll be breaking into the content creation world also. Keep an eye and an ear out for the Tabletop Journey's original adventure modules and other homebrew content coming soon on DMs Guild. Welcome back to 19 Hits the Dragon, the show of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, tabletop RPGs, and nerd culture in general. I am your host, as always, Mike Daniel. And today I'm joined by some more special guests here. We have with us uh, in the studio today, uh, or in their own studio, studio I guess. So we've got uh, Josh Newton and uh, Lewanika Miller, both from Tabletop Journeys. How are you guys doing today? Again? Fabulous. Hey, Mike, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Mike. We've talked yeah, a few great times. To... Yeah, first time I've seen you on screen, so excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and great to see you as well. I know last time we talked, we were having a little bit of lag issues there, so good to get to see you in, in full motion yeah. this time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on the show today, y'all. Um, I, I guess, do you want to talk a little about yourselves and what it is that you do sure. and sort of what uh, what brought you out to talk with us today? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having us, Mike. Really, we, we appreciate this, you know. We are from Tabletop Journeys. Uh, Tabletop Journeys is a podcast uh, largely about uh, about homebrewing your own D&D campaigns and how to take uh, rules as written and inspirations from outside the game uh, and bring them to your table. So uh, we do, uh, as of right now, we're doing two episodes a week. Uh, we do one big D&D themed episode on Saturdays, uh, and then we do another uh not D like distinctly not D and D related episode on Wednesdays that we call side quests, where we'll talk about okay. everything from uh, from Star Wars to Star Trek to we've been talking a lot of Marvel lately, uh, you know, all sorts of things, and and talk about how to take those inspirations and bring them to your table. So. Yeah, um, side quests really came from the fact that I am rarely chained into a specific conversation. I am well known for going way off topic. Um, but, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but within that off... Oh, we, we don't know anything about going off topic here at 19. It's the dragon always staying on topic. Yeah, always. <laughs> but within the realm of being off topic, there's still some gold there. There's still some things that kind of ring true. And so we basically said, mm-hmm. just keep rolling. And we kept it. And then we're like, we should just do this as a second thing. And that was basically how side quests were born. And so that's, that's where that came from. But we've also... Re- recently yeah brilliant yeah we've also recently started a brand new part of the podcast which is an actual play Mm -hmm. um that we're going to be uh airing 
uh, twice twice a month, I think, is where we're landing. Is that are we official on that now, John? Yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, I don't think we're official on that yet, but this, might as well make it official yeah. now. Yeah, probably every other week, um, and then we're we're we'll push out like the full episodes, like full three four hour episodes, uh, probably after a particular series is done. But uh, we're mm-hmm. starting we're starting. Uh, the the first bit of this actual play is running through the uh, the, the 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 candlekeep mysteries. Uh, oh, excellent! Um, okay, so yeah. we've uh, we've already recorded the first one. We're recording the second one uh, a week from today, uh, and so okay. yeah, uh, and that's a lot of fun. It's a it's a totally different uh, a totally different animal, which is so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For a couple guys that do mostly homebrew to now run a module, uh, in effect <laughs> as it was written. <laughs> In effect, uh, mm-hmm. obviously there are shades of differences that we're going to put into it, but yeah. uh, in effect, as written, uh, is excellent. And what we're doing is it's not our necessarily our normal play group. We're actually doing the actual play mm-hmm. with our patrons. So, so oh, awesome. all our That's patrons great. get yeah. a shot at joining these games. Uh, the cast of characters can change on a monthly basis depending on uh, who mm-hmm. else is available for time and many patreons we have at the time so you know yeah. um it's it, it's right. very exciting because it's going to keep us on our toes yep we're, we're lucky that we have a really really great uh storyteller running the games because if we weren't in really capable skilled hands i think that uh that we would be it's me so yeah. that's that's, what I'm <laughs> so that's okay i was <laughs> i was wondering if you were talking yourself yeah, he, he yeah, kind of was like yeah. <laughs> um, he would Nobody talks me up like me, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> you, hey, you got you got to boost your right? own brand, right? There you well, go. No. There you go. So. No, but well, all joking, all joking aside, um, I have played in other role playing games with Josh as a storyteller, but never D anD D with Josh as a storyteller. And if yeah. the first adventure is any mm-hmm. uh, any indication, like in for blast the whole way through, um, like. Like it's a, it, it was a wow. I truly enjoyed it. And I'm going to get to play more because I typically am a storyteller. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. all about yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sw- switching up from uh, being a forever DM is is super clutch. I I also had that same uh, same thing going on for me where I was strictly the the DM for my group for several years and just happened to be talking with one of my other friends who's like, oh, we play in a game, you know, that we play all online. Do you want to join us and be a player? And I was like, yes, please, <laughs> let me make a character and play. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. I have all of these ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, the uh, the Candlekeep Mysteries is uh, is a lot of fun for sure, especially that first adventure. I actually yep. co-opted that for my own uh, Eberron game. Yeah. My party's like fifth level, so I was just like, well, let me tweak a few things yeah. here and there on these encounters, but like everything else in there is, is very oh, suitable yeah. for a fifth it, level it was, party. It, it was sure. so fun, so. and we had great, great role play. That's the part that I was yeah. like, Excellent. that's the part mm-hmm. I worry about modules for. Right, that's why I don't tend to run mm-hmm. them because I've been in situations where modules didn't have that, but we had that. Mm-hmm. Part of it was uh, the nature of the story in the book. A large part mm-hmm. of it was the qualities of the storyteller, uh, but no small part of that. And I would say easily forty-nine to fifty-two percent of it was the the players in the game. Uh, you know, easily. Uh-huh. Uh, you know that the, just that group of players made that so much fun, and I can't wait for the next for the next session. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. And and good role play is absolutely essential at like first level. I'm I I'm I'm, I'm assuming you guys are running at first level yeah. characters, like I suggested. Okay. Yeah, yeah cool. we're basically, yeah, we're so basically it's... just like gonna level match all the all the mystery that mm-hmm. we go through. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean for first level, like it's it's really easy to just wipe the party, right? So if you put a bunch of encounters in there, then Brody's probably going to die pretty easily, right? But if you can have just some good roleplay experiences, some interesting, like, setbacks and things, um, and complications uh, to to uh, kind of throw in there, that's really what's essential to making a good, like, low-level game, right? Yeah, totally so, um, yeah, great to hear that you guys had had that uh, excellent experience with that. And I'm, I'm excited to uh, to give it a listen and see, you know, what, what happens there. Cool. Um, yeah, and speaking of making things that are uh, very deadly... Uh, today uh these guys are joining us here today to talk about traps and how to make some interesting traps like what are the nature of traps in dungeons and dragons and, and other tabletop rpgs i i think all of us have sort of designed a you know D uh, specific trap but I, i'm sure you can take the ideas that we're going to talk about today and put them to to whatever game that you're you happen to be playing um so, yeah, I guess, you know, Josh or, or Lewinika, you know, whichever, whoever wants to answer this first here. But when it comes to, you know, creating a trap, like where where's the sort of starting place for you guys? Where are you initiating all of that or, or how, how are you getting the, the the gears flowing for yourself or turning? Whatever. I know how to talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I got you. Uh, Josh, I will actually take this one first, if you don't mind. Um for me, I immediately go to my training. So I spent eight years in, in the uh, U.S. military as a combat engineer, where no small part of my training was oh. in actually uh, creating and removing obstacles of various kinds. So I actually had specific official government mm-hmm. training on traps of different kinds, historical, improvised, and oh, That's awesome. So I guess that's part of why, and we talked about it a bit before the, we started recording, um, traps are not things that I usually sit down and design. I have a bit of an innate, this is a good spot for a trap, or this is an obstacle. And I mm-hmm. also look at traps as that. They are obstacles. And by design, right. traps in a military sense are not necessarily designed to kill people. They are designed to slow the progress of the enemy. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they're, they're they are yeah. tactically placed. So a trap, if you're dealing with a vehicle column, is trees blocking the way that are heavy and difficult to move, so it takes them three times as long to get through a section of territory. That allows uh, people in hiding to observe the enemy so they know about them and gives them advantage at some later point in conflict. Um, So in my homebrew games, Mm -hmm. those are the types of things that I do. I put up roadblocks, impediments, things like that to provide tactical advantage later Mm -hmm. on. And uh, it allows me to be very judicious in how I swing things. Like, you guys displayed all your powers. They know everything mm-hmm. you do. Now I can use everything I have in my arsenal as a storyteller against you. Because you did it just moving a tree. You could have just hitched up some, some horses and dragged it away. But you went, went off the handle right. with 15 spells. And now they know you have those 15 spells. You know, so I tend to think of, uh, about those things. Um, and that's kind of my first starting place. Like, what is the what is the tactical reason yeah. for this trap being here? What is its designed purpose? Is it designed to stop people from getting in, to slow them from getting in, mm-hmm. dissuade them from bothering to get in? I look at the design purpose of the trap as kind of like my first and foremost. Yeah, 
So I, I think sure. I kind of approach it in a similar fashion, uh, but less tactical and more scenario based, right? So mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm crafting a particular scenario, and when we get to to the trap that I designed, I think uh, I think you can kind of see this emerged very much from I'm in a particular scenario and where's a good spot to put a trap. I, I love the way that Lee Winnie could put that. It's kind of that that storyteller sense of we all have traps in the toolbox. And, mm-hmm. and like, like any other spice, if you use them sparingly, they can add to your game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you just got to kind of find the right spot, uh, to put it in there. And I, but I very much think through the scenario, like, you know, okay, my players are, uh, are going through the woods. They're going to be on a two day slog. Uh, the woods are full of goblins and other bad guys, uh, you know, what, uh, what sort of traps would those bad guys, why, you know, why would they put up traps? Um, well, they'd be putting up traps to, to get food. They're hungry, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, so we're talking more like, um, and, and this is one of the things that I love that you put on the list, like, you know, snares and non-deadly traps that, you know, to catch the rabbit or catch the deer mm-hmm. or catch the whatever so that they can eat it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then the, but so then how does that, how do the players get into that? Well, you know, they're scouting ahead. Do they see the trap? Do they see the goblins using the trap? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and if uh, if any of my players are listening to this to this episode, uh, they will know exactly the scenario that I'm talking about. So that's, <laughs> right. uh, uh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I think those are, you know, a, a lot of really great points that you both have there. It, it seems like kind of the, the core... Uh, nugget from that is like what is the purpose of this trap and you know who built it why did they build it and where is it going right so i think you you both kind of have that um mentality of it's it's sort of a you know narrative based placement and it's sort of the uh the trap that you're creating is going to come out of the narrative that you're telling right um so and i i very much think you know the same way and when we got to when we get to discussing our traps like i definitely had like a scenario in mind of where this thing was going to be taking place so that we could sort of craft around that for sure um and i often find myself like oh well i'm you know my players are going to be in this dungeon or they're in this wilderness uh, exploration uh section things like that and yeah, finding the uh, the sort of logical uh, setbacks, like Lewinika Le- uh, said, to to place there. It's not something that's going to be you know out of the ordinary. Like we're not going to be in the middle of this wilderness uh, exploration section of the story, and then all of a sudden there's these Gygaxian <laughs> traps that they have to get through. Right, like yeah. that just doesn't make sense uh, for the setting. Um, that those things might make sense though if the party is in the midst of a dungeon crawl, right? So yeah. those things would kind of be there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think setting purpose, you know, who designed the trap as well, obviously, is going to be super vital to uh, sort of initiating and and getting those ideas uh, flowing for yeah. developing a trap there. Absolutely. Yeah, you've 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 got the um. Uh, so I actually just recently played through the Tomb of Annihilation module uh, mm, over nice. multiple years, and I mean, if you want to talk about a module that's just got. It, it Gygaxian is really the best word to describe it because it is it is the dungeon is just traps on traps on traps yep. on traps on traps. Clearly, you know, Raznasi had no minions because they would have got caught in those traps over centuries trying to go ahead and do anything in that temple, right? right? Um, and so, you know, like that's uh, that's really and that's just a different. It's a different type of game than I normally run, right? Lewinika mm-hmm. and I talk about this a lot about how we run really narrative heavy games and everything sort of comes from that narrative. And that's not to go mm-hmm. ahead and say that 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 our way is the only way. It's just it's the way that we do it. Um, 
running that that really stereotypical Gygaxian type damage uh, t- type dungeon where you're in a room, it's got traps, you beat the trap to get to the next room. I mean, it's, it's like playing through the Saw movies, right? I mean, it's like you gotta go from room <laughs> right. to room, well, absolutely, you know, yeah. Defeat the traps. Yeah, you make a great point, uh, Josh, and uh, it reminds me of a couple months back in my uh, in one of the games that I'm uh, that I'm running ongoing. Uh, I have had no traps. We have barely been underground except for like one section Mm -hmm. and uh but i decided i felt like i needed a bit of a change of pace so i wanted to run an old style second edition first edition dungeon crawl so i literally built a four sub level two top level building that the party got into through the basement through the lowest level the sewer and uh, they were in a cistern room, and they got very much saw-like cistern room, and they did all these things, and they went through these different sections. And even in that scenario, I was like, I didn't want to do traps there, because you make the point. Why would they have... If you've got minions, they're going to get caught in your traps, right? Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So right, that right. doesn't make sense. So while I put defensive things in there, until the the players did something wrong to sound the alarm, there were no traps. It was they either ran into somebody, if they beat mm-hmm. them before they could sound an alarm, they were fine, that type of thing. There were some challenges, but there were no true traps because of it didn't make logical sense. Um, even in a wilderness scenario, if goblins or kobolds are trapping the main routes that humanoids would travel then they have Mm. to have a trail nearby that is not trapped there's always got to be a way for them to maneuver right they're not undoing a trap all the time absolutely and in those scenarios i give my rangers or if there's a player character who knows the enemy for whatever reason in their backstory the ability to know that so now the players Mm. they actually can get around the trap simply by saying hey I know there's another. They've got to have a, a, a secret path. Let me look for it, and I may make that DC exceptionally hard because I want them to go through the trap. Let's be honest. Right? But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want them to just bypass <laughs> all of your hard work of setting this exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So, <laughs> but at the same time, if I, as a storyteller, don't have the ability to rationalize this logically, I can't fathom how to get the players to suspend their disbelief either. I mean, right. I'm already think, getting them to think there's a, a reptilian guy about four and a half feet tall with sharp teeth and, <laughs> and a little dagger who goes, I'm going to get you. You know, um, and while the <laughs> right, voice right. sells it a lot, uh, that's, that, that's a stretch in and of itself. I There's got to be some kind of internal logic to what we do. So I am always thinking about what's the internal logic of this trap or this trap scenario. It was actually the hardest part about just writing a trap for this episode is like, I'm like, I can't write a trap by itself. Like that I couldn't do. I actually had to self-create a scenario within which a trap would Mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Um, And from there, it worked. And then when I got about halfway through, I'm like, eh, some of that logic is off. So then I started making alterations and fixing it so it all fit. But it was, you know, what it is now is not what it was when I started. Yeah. And I think that's a hallmark of a mm-hmm. great uh, creation, trap or otherwise. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, the ability to kind of be flexible as you're coming up with it as well is super crucial. Like you said, trying to find that sort of internal logic. I had uh, some similar uh, roadblocks, I guess, or hurdles that I had to get over when I was designing mine for today because I had an idea and I'm like, okay, this is really cool. But as I started putting certain things down on paper, like didn't really quite fit altogether. So I'm like, okay, well, let me, you know, revise and tweak this a little bit and find a way to do something similar to what I'm thinking, but in a way that actually works with the scenario that we have here. Um, yeah. And I think absolutely, you know, D&D requires that uh, players uh, play a lot of make-believe already, right? So they're already at this point where they're believing all of this fantastical stuff for the sake of the story. I think if you can make the the traps and any sort of encounters, you know, the more sense that they can make and the more logic they can have to them, the easier it's going to be to uh, to run those with your players. You know, whether you're intentionally trying to uh, to kill the party with this trap or whether you're just trying to create a setback for them and, and allow them to role play getting through that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about some like, uh, different aspects of traps here. I know we were talking and we, we have some notes here about like some sources for traps. So when it comes to like thinking up unique trap ideas, yeah. like where are some of the places that y'all are going to pull inspiration from? Sure. I, I will say that when I started putting together my trap, uh, you know, I I laugh every time I make this reference on our show. But man, Pinterest is probably one of the greatest things in homebrew tabletop role playing like ever. Like it's like mm. you go to Pinterest, you search D and D trap, and got a million like to the point that I actually got I got one uh, one article that was like fifteen thousand unique traps, and I'm sure that they're not all unique, and I did not read all fifteen thousand. <laughs> that would be right. quite right. the feat in um, of itself. He got fourteen fifty six for the record, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then another one, uh, 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 this blog that's been going on for like five years, uh, where the the writer does Trap Tuesday, and every Tuesday mm. he puts out a new trap on his blog. So like stuff like that, yeah. like people who who like live and breathe this one niche uh and it's awesome for pinterest that's that for if you're doing any sort of research pinterest is great Mm -hmm. you know otherwise again we are huge fans of all sorts of media outside of kind of proper dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. and bringing it to the game uh like the the indiana jones movies are fabulous oh yeah absolutely Uh, you know uh the um uh what's the the paul newman movie from like 1975 um cool hand loot um Nope. nope, the one where the one where he, uh, uh, Great Escape. Are you talking about? No, are you talking about the Sting by chance, or because that's that's uh, more I of a social trap, it. I guess, that they yeah. set up for the, that guy with their their um, long con. But yeah, the long con. The Sting was great, by the way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Who was it? Little ragtime. Um, the uh, the drowning pool. Yeah, well, yeah, the. The, the drowning pool from 1975 where he winds up in this like this water tank and the tank is filling oh, okay. and he has to, he has to mm-hmm. go ahead and like fill up the tank and to build up the pressure you know those kind of things like those are the kind of things that whenever whenever we're doing something uh something unique and something interesting like that's where we're going we're going mm-hmm. way outside of the game and saying oh okay here's a water tank and the only way to defeat it is actually to fill up the area with water to go ahead and blow out the door mm-hmm. because when if you're in a contained you got to think about the player experience, right? And so if you're in a contained space that's filling up with water, your inclination is going to be, how do I stop the water real quick? Because I don't want to drown. Mm-hmm. And the way to go, but the way to defeat the trap in that case is to let the thing fill up so that the doors blow out, you know? For um, sure. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So try, playing with expectations and stuff like that, I think is really important. Um, you know, but I mean, 
I go I go outside. I go yeah. I go way outside uh, kind of D&D proper. I go like I said right to my training. I go right to mm-hmm. I go right to history. Uh, um the most devious, maniacal, disgusting and horrifying traps are the things that happened in real life. So um, mm. I'm not saying that people need to go into the deep history and deal with this and recognizing that there are people who shudder when they think about some of these experiences because they were in wars and had to deal with some of these things. But some of the traps that were used in the Vietnam War, some of the traps that were mm. used in uh, the Pacific theater, um, you don't have to dive too deep to realize those are the things mm-hmm. that Gygax was drawing from when he first started oh, yeah. creating the concept of traps for his dungeons. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that almost every first edition module I ever played had some kind of punji that comes yeah. from a real world scenario, uh, you mm-hmm. know, for so, sure. so much so that as a teenager playing, because we were children of Vietnam era parents and I grew up in a military community, um, we all knew what happened in punji pits. So in my games, they're like, like when I have done punji pits or things like that, it is. And now you have to save versus poison because it's not just getting poked by these giant sticks. There's right. poisonous right. material on them. I don't need to gross everybody out in the audience with what's on them. <laughs> but yeah. needless to say, I just make that a thing. That's kind of how it works. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, a facet that I put into the trap I just made. But it's, you know, um, <laughs> you know, it, but history is probably my greatest teacher. Uh, look, you you have only to look at look at older movies that talk about you know the pyramids and the different traps that are, are found in the mummy with Brandon Fraser. Mm-hmm. Yep, traps galore. Mm. Uh, you know, release the scarabs. I mean, that was it, it was a great movie. <laughs> that was a traumatizing experience. To you know, me, I gotta yeah. say, as someone with a fear of like swarms of bugs, that uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. that one gi- that one gives you sorry. The, we can... oh. You know, yeah, heebie-jeebies, you know. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, thinking about that. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call out my co-host, but one of the three people in this broadcast right now is deathly afraid of spiders. <laughs> deathly <laughs> okay. yeah, afraid yeah, yeah. of spiders, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I can tell you that as I was writing this, and and I didn't put it in because I wanted it to be the trap itself oh. and not the things that are in it. But in my head, I was like, this is the perfect thing to have a big evil sentient spider with a bunch of other <laughs> big spiders waiting for people. You know, you um, are, are, that's, and I did, uh, but Josh, I didn't put it in there. I didn't. You're evil. You're awful. You're awful. He didn't put it in the trap. He's just going to talk about it now and traumatize you instead. That way when I talk about the trap, you're going to have that visual. Yeah. All and right. with luck, he'll stay Excellent. in his chair. You're an awful person. I am. You're an yeah. awful person. I ought to be no, ashamed. I think, I'm not. Yeah, absolutely. I ought to be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that's great. I think definitely turning your players' uh, fears and, and expectations on themselves is is always uh, great. And yeah, a lot of really great uh, examples of, of excellent traps there. Indiana Jones, um, obviously, and, and the mummy drawing inspiration from that and sort of taking it even further as well. And yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of places to uh, to go to you know, gather uh, inspiration for the, all these different traps here. I, I know I spent, you know, when I first started DMing and was trying to come up with my own traps or, you know, figure out how to implement traps in a dungeon, I spent a lot of time on Reddit reading through other people's examples just to yep. get a feel yep. for what's out there and how people make things work mechanically so that I could either, you know, A, find ones that I really loved and steal them and put them in my game, 
um, or just, you know, come up with some of, of my own kind of based on the, the bits and pieces that I gleaned from, from other people there for sure. Totally. Interesting uh, thing you bring up there when you're designing traps in general, not just the ones that we did today, because mm-hmm. um, I think at least for me, this was a bit different because we're like, hey, we're going to do a show on trap. Let's build a trap. So it by definition, it started differently than I might normally put in a trap. But right. do you normally think of, hey, I've got these nice mechanics I want to use. I'll build a trap around it. Or do you normally think of, hey, that was a pretty cool trap I just saw. How would I build mechanics to make that work? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends for me, really. Like, if I if I see something, like, if I watch a movie and I'm like, oh, that's a really neat idea for, like, a trap. Like, how can I make that work in D&D terms? And then I'll sit down and kind of break apart all the different aspects of that and figure out, you know, how it would work in, in a role-playing game. Because, obviously, a role-playing game and something that happens in a movie are going to be pretty different, right? Yeah. The, the movie and the camera sort of dictates how things go, but a tabletop RPG, you just kind of have to set it up and see how your players interact with it, right? Um, so yeah, just kind of breaking all of those pieces down and trying to figure out how you can make certain things happen. Um, I've definitely, I, I think, um, you know, I've started with some traps in the past that, um, you know, I had the idea of, oh, well, you know, my players are in this dungeon and there's this sort of entity that has put them in this dungeon to test their uh, worth, essentially. Right. So they're putting all of these traps in front of them that are going to cause like moral quandaries and have them try and figure things out as well. And then the very last trap ended up being like there was a single divot in the floor and the ceiling was coming down. And they had to decide between the four people who were there, who's going to crawl into the hole and not get squished by the, the ceiling. Right. Wow. So I read that. Where did I read that? I just read that somewhere. Was that on Reddit? Uh, just not, not recent. I mean, maybe someone posted about it recently as well. This was years ago that, that I, I, I did That's this. That's so and I, funny. And I think it was a, a post on Reddit that kind of gave me the idea. So it was something similar to that. But, you know, ultimately yeah. what ended up happening there was the, the, uh, the, the ceiling comes down and, there's one person that's in the pit after they've had this discussion about, oh, you know, who are, are we going to let like actually live through this? And it pushes down on all of the people that are outside of the pit just enough to apply pressure. And then it releases and rises back up. So they they weren't ever actually in any danger, but there's the illusion of danger. Right. And that yeah. idea of, oh, we're all about to die except for one of us. So let's have a discussion about who we're going to let live through this encounter, yeah. essentially. Um, let, let the cleric with resurrect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Actually, in that, interestingly, we did not have a cleric in that game. So there was very little chance that anybody was going to be able to, to res them uh, yeah. inside of the party anyway. So there was a lot let of the like, there's like, you know, one of our players had a life debt to the other players. So uh, they were having this discussion about like, oh, no, you go in, no, you. And then they, oh, at, at the very last minute, uh, they swapped places and decided that after that, wow. the life debt was resolved. So, yeah, it's just like, uh, <laughs> like so, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So, so I, I came up with, with that because I had the situation where I had this dungeon and I needed to have some sort of like ultimate moral friendship test amongst the party, right? So from need, that need, how do I create a trap that tests that essentially? So I may have yeah. to use that <laughs> before this airs because 
Many, <laughs> many, if not most, yeah. of my players listen to our show. Listen to the shows we try to get them to turn on to. Uh, yeah. And, okay. Uh, so I would, I would have to use that before my current players hear this. That way, I can <laughs> okay. use it or save it for a one-shot game down the road uh, with my non-current players, just so I can use it because that's brilliant. Talk about some RP, yeah. a trap that generates yeah. RP. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's RP yeah. that will that's, last uh, and, for a campaign. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's a total mind twist too, because it's like you've got all these players that are like, okay, this is it. Like, this is actually where, you know, oh man, our party has aired. We have got ourselves into this trap that we can't get out of. Right. Wah, what do we? Oh, well, it's been nice knowing <laughs> you. Yeah, know? like that's a, 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 like, exactly. You know. And actually, so I uh, the, in, interestingly, just to add another layer onto that, and then we can kind of get a little bit more back on topic here. Um, one of the players had uh, been granted a wish, um, and he chose that he could never die. Um, so he, in this scenario, he's like, oh, oh well, I, you know, I'm going to live forever. He, so like, I, I don't have to be in there. And I'm like, well, you're going to live forever, but that doesn't mean that you can't get squished into a pancake exactly. and just be a yeah. sentient <laughs> pancake forever. Yeah. Right. Like you can, you can be 10 <laughs> feet tall and 17 feet. Wide yeah, exa- two exactly. Thick, you know? it's like, there there so. are things that are worse than death and being that would be worse. <laughs> absolutely yeah no that was actually something that really kind of spurred me on to th- rethink how i went after not just him but the entire party it's like well i i can't kill him outright now so what do i threaten him with um yeah. and in, yeah i mean I, I think that has uh spawned a lot of really interesting ideas for er, from me anyway like how to go about like setting up traps and, and other things there as well to great. try and get us yeah, back on great. topic here <laughs> um yeah um, but yeah, so, I mean, we talked like inspiration, um, you know, obviously we want to like fit the trap to the situation. Um, I think we should maybe kind of give an overview on some of the different types or uh, of traps that are available and that, you know, dungeon masters or storytellers, as uh, you, you said there, Luanika can use to um, ensnare or, you know, set back their party there. Um, yeah, so yeah. for y'all, I guess, like it, speaking in, in the most generic terms possible, what are some of the uh, types of traps that you, you guys like to use? My favorite. Go ahead. Uh, my favorite is the political trap. I love mm, putting mm-hmm. players in a situation like parties generally have one or two players that are super good and one or two that are very questionable. For whatever reason, that's how my parties. It's never all in the middle or all one way. It's, it's, it's always right. at least one or two on the far end and the most are in the middle. But you generally get your players to be beholden to an ideal, a patron, a nation, mm-hmm. or a town, or some common goal. And then you put the right thing to do up against that, and it becomes a trap. And you do that politically when it's the king wants to do the right thing, or do right by people, but he's doing bad things. And now the party has to decide. I love that kind of trap. Or mm-hmm. the party saved the town, but they had to break the laws to do it. Now they're on trial for breaking the laws. Mm-hmm. And, and so now you've got the party on trial. And I've done this uh, a couple different times over the years. Uh, I think the best time I've done was within the last year or so. And they were literally on trial there in front of the town council. They, the town had a mm-hmm. had a law against vigilantism. Uh, basically, if you're not part of the town guard and you go beating bad guys, you you're, there's a problem. Well, in the fight in question, mm-hmm. 
the party was so focused on catching the one bad guy who kept getting away from them that they didn't realize his minions were going around policing up all the other bodies. So there was no evidence hmm. that they were fighting anybody but the one guy. So there was no evidence that they were ever attacked. And because a whole building burnt down in the process, they almost started a citywide fire trying to get this guy, and they didn't get the bad guy. So when it was all said and done, they're on trial for nearly burning down the town, and they were the ones who were yeah. attacked. And right. so it was one of those situations. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. You know, and so the trap was, I kept leading this bad guy away from them, and they kept mm-hmm. missing the... Like they, I mean, they were failing perception checks, or I'm like, are you staying with the body? No. I was asking directly, are you going to watch the body yeah. of the guy who fell? No. Okay, then. And then they're like, well, <laughs> Mr. Constable, there's the body's right. I'm like, no, that's gone. He's like, what? Well, the blood, the blood yeah. was right what, there. What body? Like, there's no, there's yeah. no blood there. <laughs> but we were attacked through the no. Yeah. And like, but all these people saw it, and all the people are like, you burnt down our building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, <didn't see> <laughs> you know, yeah. we saw you start uh, a fire. That's what we yeah. saw. You know, that's what we saw. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I think the party was reasonably shocked that they found themselves on trial. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and they did win. I actually made that a skill challenge. So they got out of the, they were successful in swaying the town council. But the fact is, is that I put their actions, everything that they thought that a, a party of players should do, and they should have, was now on trial. And they had to acquit themselves in order to continue. And I thought that was a mm-hmm. great trap. Uh, that I, a, a socio-political yeah. trap. Yeah. And just to just to glom on to something that you said there, the combination of a of a kind of a traditional fourth edition skills challenge translated into five e and a kind of a prolonged string of of trap scenarios, right? Like, mm-hmm. So he's talking about a very political trap, but even just like you know you are you are running down the bridge of Casa Doom and the bridge is falling behind you. Mm-hmm. How do you get out? Right. You know? um, so the combination of a skills challenge and or a skills challenge and a trap scenario, that's a really, really great combination that I really think if storytellers are not currently taking advantage of that, they really should look at that and try to try to figure out how those work. Because what it allows you to do is it, it takes a situation that is uh, that is a single moment where there is a trap. And it gets it allows you to spread it out. Mm-hmm. You can spread it out over multiple moments, and it allows you to it allows your players to kind of be creative enough with their own skill set and their own character class and everything like that to determine how do they navigate this scenario. Um, the more and more that I use skills challenges, and the more and more that I read on skills challenges, mm-hmm. the more and more that I love them. And the combination of traps is a really, really great, a really, really great thing. So that's a, that, that's a really, really nice example there. The kind of traps that I tend to fall to, and, and I, I love the social, the socio political traps, but he took that one, so I'm not going to. <laughs> that's, um, that's why I went first, by the way. Because we, we've I, covered that. I so, knew yeah. he was going to go yeah. there, so I had to jump in. <laughs> um, uh, now, I love mental traps. I mm, love mm-hmm. the ones that are, um, and I thought, I thought the the note that you put on here about addicting puzzles mm-hmm. is a really, really fascinating one that I haven't explored very much, but seems that that is definitely kind of tickling my brain a little bit here about how you get like how do you kind of induce an obsession Mm -hmm. in a a player to go ahead and get them kind of trapped in their in their own their own menial task that doesn't actually wind up doing anything you kind of think Mm -hmm. um you know i love riddles and like logic puzzles and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um and 
I guess I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the same. I love them, and it comes with a caveat, right? Like you've got to make sure that if you're throwing riddles or puzzles at your players, that that that's what the players want. Because right. those are, I think that there's very much kind of two sides to that coin. There are the players that love doing puzzles and the play and that love riddles and everything like that, and there are the players that very much don't love that. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that unless you kind of know what group you've got. You know, that's kind of a session zero question. Like, hey, you know, how do we feel about traps or how do we feel about puzzles? And if, sure. you, if you don't have players that are kind of like against it, then then you're fine to go ahead. Um, but I also think, you know, uh, kind of like we were talking earlier about how it's really easy to design a deadly trap. Uh, it's also really, really easy to design a riddle that's too hard. Oh, for sure. Um, because because, again, like it's we got to remember that as storytellers, like we know the answer we have the cards mm-hmm. like we know we know what we're trying to say but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're saying it in a way that the players are going to get it so right you know while i while i love mental traps and i love rules and everything like that that's one of those i think that you kind of have to have an asterisk yeah to. uh speaking and expanding that asterisk because i love those mental traps and those things but there's like you said there's a built-in caveat that you have to have you also have to understand mm. where your players are coming from right so even if somebody says oh yeah i like puzzles you also have to understand kind of their real world background, right? So, mm-hmm. um, in the same for the same reasons that we talk about or publicly are talking about having a discussion about how valid is the SAT if you come from background X or Y versus A, B, or Z, um, you know, we have to have that discussion because I may know a lot about Paris and the Eiffel Tower. But does somebody from a different background entirely who may not have been exposed to that know enough about that? So if I have a puzzle Mm -hmm. built on this knowledge from this background, is somebody over here, regardless of how intelligent they are, regardless of how much they like puzzles, are they as likely to be able to solve that? So when you're writing puzzles, you also, especially if they're of that, um, it's not as simple as a DC to solve. Um, you have mm-hmm. to be very mm-hmm. cognizant of that background piece. And you're, you as a storyteller have to craft a puzzle for your specific group. Um, that's why I really like 5th edition, because I think 5th edition allows the out. You can, mm-hmm. as a storyteller, craft whatever puzzle you want, then set your DC and give the players enough time, as long as they're actively looking or trying, let them try. But the moment you notice that they're kind of stuck in a pattern, now let them roll the dice. But you better have a way around it or out of it or that they can fail through it if the dice don't go Mm -hmm. in your favor. So I think that's one of the things with uh, puzzle traps that you have to keep in mind. What's the fail state? If you don't have a plan plan for the fail state, you can have a game that goes off the rails or go... Or doesn't go anywhere. You can it, it can be a game or a campaign killer if you don't have a good fail state in your in your puzzles. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you you bring up a really great point of you know do you want your puzzles to be something that are or your your traps I should say or to be something that is you know an absolute roadblock that the there's no way through unless the party figures out how to get through it or they're gonna die or you know X Y Z thing happens if they fail. 
Um, or is it something that is just going to, you know, they're going to trigger it. And it, even if they, they aren't sure how to, you know, solve the puzzle or dismantle it, they can maybe take some damage or, you know, whatever and make their way through it eventually. Right. So I, I think those those aspects of uh, trap design are, are absolutely crucial. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and also just to kind of, you know, round out a couple of the types of traps, um, just to, uh, to talk about some specific things, you know, obviously there are natural traps. There's like, um, you know, the, the cave ceiling is potentially about to collapse or things are going to collapse underneath people's feet. Um, there's going to be some, um, you know, dungeon hazards, like different types of molds and stuff like that. Those sort of natural environmental things um, that are going to cause traps. There are uh, mechanical aspects of that as well, as we've talked about in many aspects of uh, our conversation today. Those are sort of more Gygaxian or like, you know, the kobolds are someone who are culturally very known for creating these like devious mechanical traps. Um and then, of course, there are, you know, the uh, like the snares and the types of traps that are made to maybe imprison or move the party or just kind of set them on the wrong course. Not necessarily going to hurt the party in any way or it might, you know, hurt them some, but that's not kind of the goal of it. Right. It's to redirect or to stop them or to kind of halt them in their tracks. Absolutely. One of the really interesting one. Sorry. One of the really interesting ones that I saw in doing research was uh, a magical trap that basically it's it takes place on like a 10 by 10 grid floor sort of thing mm -hmm. um and some of the spaces on the floor are teleportation spots Ooh, interesting right? so okay you can, so you can be moving forward right so i move three spaces forward and that space transports me to a, if i cross over that space it transports me 15 feet to the right or mm -hmm. 20 feet behind you know and so part of the part of navigating the room is mm -hmm. figuring out how to use the teleportation squares to get around the teleportation squares, right? Yeah, it becomes a, and, and I thought that was really, really interesting. It seems like it could be a lot of uh, a lot of frustrating management, <laughs> right? But, I, but is but it was kind of like, oh, I could probably make that work. Yeah, yeah that's excellent. I, I, um, and I was gonna say I love the natural uh, traps. Uh, I actually just recently ran an avalanche scenario. Uh, one of the. Oh, nice! Uh, the yeah. player characters uh, had uh, were dealing with Yeti. They're in the frozen north. All these things are at camp. Uh, he killed two of them quite famously. Wanted to celebrate, so he's in there and he's banging metal to metal really loudly and lets out mm. a yell because his smite was badass, and it was. And I'm like, yeah. I look, uh, I look virtually at, and I say to the to the ranger, I'm like, you're hearing a rumbling. And you know it's an avalanche because she's from the area, and she, and, and she, and she yeah. looks at the screen. She's like, "How bad?" And I and I, I roll some dice, and I said, "The party may not make it out of this one." And, mm. and, and they're like, "Oh no!" So now I literally have this party who usually doesn't worry about resource management, figuring out what they're going to take and what they're going to leave, and they're running mm -hmm. through this clearing to get to the woodlines, hoping that the woodline will block some of this avalanche. And the party separated. Yeti has one of the party members. They're running. The avalanche <laughs> is coming. And there's a cliff on the other end of this stand of woods. So they end up having to go down, climb down the cliff, and climb into a cave while the avalanche goes over the top of the cave. And they barely make it. Like, like barely mm -hmm. made it. Uh, but it was a great scenario and it was a series of skill challenges to get 
through the trees to get to the point where they could get out of the way of this trap. And that was something that was, again, one of those on the flies. Like, the player just did that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. in this environment, what would yeah. happen if you do that? Run for, run right, for right. it. You know, I thought that was, I, I love that scenario. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and what, yeah, I just wanted to, because uh, I, I, I meant to actually mention this before when we were talking about these sort of mental uh, traps and like addicting puzzles and that sort of weird feedback loop that can get created for players. One of my favorite, and I, I've seen it around the internet and I've used it several times myself as well, is, you know, you put the party in a room, you have the, a door across the way and you have a, that's locked and there's a timer. There's, however, it can be like a, you know, an hourglass or an actual like counter on the wall or whatever, and it's counting down. And there's a button that the players have in front of them. If they hit that button or do whatever to interact with it, resets the timer, right? So you give them this idea that, oh, when the timer hits zero, that's a bad thing. And now we have to figure out what to do to stop this from happening. But it turns out that it's just a, it's, it's a thing to waste their time, essentially, right? Like if they let it go, then the the timer reaches zero the sand runs out of the hourglass and the door opens yeah. and they can go out yeah. they can just walk right out. I, yeah that's <laughs> so. brilliant we were talking earlier about about the candle keep mysteries <laughs> yeah oh that that's a great trap we were talking earlier about the candle keep mysteries yeah. and how we ran the first the first candle keep mm-hmm. there, there there is one of those types of things i won't spoil it for people that haven't read through it but there's one of those uh there's one of those types of places uh in the uh uh, in in the first mission that literally says in the book the entire purpose of this room and the and the denizens that are in it are to slow down and th- their their entire purpose is to slow down the players yeah. and keep them in here like they don't want them to leave right kind of thing um so that's the that was a ultimately it's funny that actually didn't make the final cut in our episode because at the point that the players hit it like they mm-hmm. were already like three quarters of the way through the mission oh yeah 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 it's like, it like oh okay no we're just gonna we're gonna let this go this is this is yeah. not good well radio. right uh, one of the players was insane in his zealousness about how to handle any kind of search um this um yeah uh, yeah 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 him right there <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah go left <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, yeah. So, I mean, we talked about some of the different uh, types of traps here. We've hit on like kind of the purposes of the uh, the traps here. Um, I, I think uh, just, you know, as far as like when it comes to like sitting down to actually put together um, your your trap or a trap and put it on paper, there are, you know, certain things that need to uh, y- you need to have. Right. You need to understand what the threat level of this is. Um, how intricate is this going to be? What is the thing that's the trigger? You know, how is it going to set this off? The effect, you know, what's happening there? And then the countermeasures, right? Like, how can this trap be avoided, be detected, be deactivated? Um, And I think, you know, um, oh, the name of the book totally just jumped out of my brain. Oh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. God, Michael, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) Yeah, Xanathar's does a really great job of breaking all of those different aspects down to it, right? Because every trap has these sorts of uh, aspects to them, right? Um, And how they are kind of put together is what makes every trap unique and interesting, right? So, yep. Yeah. Sorry, I also just kind of got lost in my notes here about things we were going to talk about. Um, uh, yeah, no well, we've been jumping all over the yeah. place. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's great. I mean, that's, so, that's... that's conversations, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I was yeah, going to say, go yeah, ahead. in talking about the different um, conventions of traps and the different aspects that, that are outlined, 
it's kind of interesting because you know you talk about whether it's going to be simple or difficult. Um, the beauty and the challenge of being a storyteller for the Dungeons and Dragons game in specific, but TTRPGs in general, is that traps mm-hmm. when you build them are static, but your players are not. So if you are designing a, a sandbox campaign and you build, say, a castle, mm-hmm. and that's already built, or this is your third campaign in this world and that trap is already there and another party is already that trap is there. It's difficult for a level mm-hmm. three party. It is nothing but a thing for a level 13, right? But it's still there. So even though you're designing mm-hmm. it, you kind of have, it, it, you know, as you're writing it together, putting it down, you kind of have to think about where is this going to hit its sweet spot? You know, it's deadly for tier one characters. It's a challenge or it's difficult for tier two mm-hmm. And where it goes in, because a hard or deadly challenge for tier three, tier one, they they just die. Like that's the place where everybody goes to die. Mm-hmm. They they've never met anybody who survived it. <laughs> yeah. They just right. heard that's where people go to die. You know, uh, that's mm-hmm. that's where bad things take place. So that's mm-hmm. kind of that that's kind of an interesting aspect to setting your difficulty and looking at those conventions. Is you know. Um, how that works. Traps can be used for a really nice storytelling convention. It can be a you're not a hero enough to be part of the King's Guard until you can survive this gauntlet. And the gauntlet is just a series mm. of traps. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And basically it's like yeah, <laughs> if the first trap dings you up, you don't want to go further. Because then, because you're going to die. Yeah. Right. You know, those are the kinds of things that, that, it, that know, can be very cool, especially in a sandbox environment. So totally off the rails, but when you were talking there for a second, uh, so I had this really interesting idea kind of pop in my head. You talked about about the trap that, you know, the, the village knows that everyone who winds up in that trap dies, right? What if you flip that script a little bit and it's not that they know that everybody that goes there dies, but like there are cultures that like, you know, when, when elders uh, get old enough and they decide that it's time for them to go ahead and stop living in the village that mm-hmm. they go off right and so is that is that where you know is it is it not that oh that's really dangerous because that's where every, you know everybody who goes there dies mm-hmm. like, no no it's revered it's like a revered oh yeah trap. it's the secret like, place no, where we that, go that, to that's, sort that's, of that's test the, our that's, metal and... that's a sacred place yeah. exactly yeah hmm. you know interesting which is interesting yeah, yeah I, I thank I, you josh i kind of went the other way you with just that. sewed up the one the one fly saw in the one i wrote thank you that's it that's in mine well, just take that and pack it under mine. That's what I'm Excellent. here for. Uh, I'm here to help you people. That's what I'm here for. Fantastic. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I kind of went the other way with something that uh, Leonika was saying there is, and it, and it sort of reminded me of, I don't know if you guys have seen this movie or not. Chances are you, you might have. It's uh, The First Night. Uh, oh, yeah. With Sean Connery oh, yeah. and um, yeah. Richard Once Greer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I mean, he has that. There's that gauntlet that he has to go through, right? There's the town. Uh, everyone's you know gathered around in the village, and these guys that are the knights are trying to get through it, and they all keep getting just kind of like pummeled by this trap, right? Or the, this gauntlet scenario that's in front of them. And I, and I think you know traps can very much be used in that sort of way as well as a way to kind of test the metal for an individual. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be Deadly. you know it, it's going to destroy them, it, but there are ways to create uh, obstacles that, you know, if the party fails, then that means something, right? 
right? It doesn't hurt them necessarily, but it hurts them in a, on a social sense, even social. though they have like mechanically failed to pass through this trap, right? Um, or or the other way around. I mean, if they make it all the way through unscathed, then obviously they're like a big hero and like, oh, wow, every, obviously this is a very capable individual. So we can now elect them to go and be, you know, the, the emissary or whatever to go off to do the thing that needs to be done. Yeah, I... Um, uh... That's I absolutely I love that. that, and yes, I've seen First Night more than a few times. I've owned it since it was first on DVD. Uh, I own the yeah. original score, and on several of my devices, including my nice. pe- previous phone, the Raid on Leoness, and Night uh, and uh, Night Fight and uh, Battle Music uh, were actually on the phone because mm. I used that those elements of the soundtrack in my games regularly. <laughs> um, Nice. I am Excellent. completely down with that movie. So. Yeah, very well done. Yeah. <laughs> All right, awesome, awesome. Yeah, talking earlier about movies we draw inspiration yeah. from for, for yeah. traps, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> the That's only great. thing we don't draw inspiration from yeah. that is the Dorito chip uh, on the shoulder. That's 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 the only thing we don't draw. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, costume yes, design. I don't think that there's a Sean Connery movie that we don't draw inspiration from. Like that's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great yeah, that might that, be that's a great point. Sure. I don't. I would say every yeah. Sean Connery movie I can think of, which is darn near all of them, I would say I mm-hmm. I have has inspired something in almost every game I've played at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If only for the bad Scottish actor. Well, yeah. that's that's a start point for my personal bad Scottish actor. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. No, I, I definitely have that uh, that happen as well, where I'm like, oh, I'm trying to do a Scottish accent, and I'm like, wait, no, I'm I'm just doing Connery. That's that's all that I'm yeah, doing. Right. I'm not doing a yeah. It's <laughs> every S is an SH. That's yeah, shut it, up, exactly. throw back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God rest both their souls. Good times. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. All right. Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about a lot of different aspects of traps. I know we've hinted at the fact that we all have built traps here. Should we maybe yeah. dive into some of those and talk about what we've put together yeah. here? Cool. Well, yeah. uh, Josh, why don't you take us through your sure. share, and then we'll kind of see where we, we go from from there. So give us okay, a little no, bit of an overview on, on what you got yeah. worked up here. Yeah. So uh, so when we were talking earlier, I said about how I started with with the scenario, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of let the trap kind of emerge from that. Uh, and so the scenario that I started with is that the party is tasked with retrieving the king's gold, uh, which had been uh, being carried by ship, and the ship had had sunk, right? Um, and the the uh, party finally finds the ship. Uh, where the gold was, um, you know, they survey the situation. Uh, the important part of the ship is, of course, underwater. Um, naturally. So, you know, you've got it naturally because, I mean, how, you know, there's no drama. <laughs> if it's just like, oh, the, look, the, yeah. the gold's on the beach, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, and so they have to devise a plan uh, and they have to kind of swim, walk through a partially flooded part of the ship to get at it. Um, and as they near the treasure hoard or as whoever is going off to get the treasure hoard, uh, the floor of the ship uh, uh, splinters and falls apart uh, and they wind up falling uh, through, you know, pulled under uh, by the currents into this long pit uh, that they then have to go ahead and crawl out of. And so... 
I, you know, we, again, we talked earlier about how easy it is to design a deadly trap, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I, like, I'm thinking to myself, I was like, okay, if this is going to be enough of a challenge, uh, this is this is not one of those that's like, oh, well, if they make it, if they if they make it out, but don't, don't completely success, succeed, they're just going to be maimed, you know, potentially, or you know, like this is kind of a you either make it out of the pit that's 50 feet underwater or you don't and <laughs> right. you die kind of thing, you know. Um, and so, I really kind of started thinking about. Uh, what are the various uh, checks and scenarios that you would need to go through to go ahead and get out of this kind of situation? Mm-hmm. And I think that a situation like this, um, I, I didn't dive into the, the the countermeasures part of it too deeply. Uh, and honestly, it's because the range of possibilities for how to get out of this are so myriad. And there are so many different ways mm-hmm. that you could try to, you know, could try to, you know, they could be the person there could be one person going in there could be six people going in there could be you know there could be a wizard that casts water breathing on them you know all any number of things and so i think that i think that this really highlighted for me that in a trap scenario uh that the storyteller really needs to be agile it really Mm -hmm. needs to uh be a thing that as the situation changes that the storyteller can adapt to that situation and kind of figure out how is you know kind of how is the situation uh fluid and changing and how do i you know you, you don't want to be that storyteller that's like nope the care someone's going to die in this mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if they start figuring it out i'm just going to make it harder right you don't want to be you don't want to be that guy um and so you, but you but you definitely want to make sure that that feedback at the table is kind of uh, modifying the situation but in any case, so so I started with the with the the trigger for the trap and how does how does the floor fall apart and what can the players possibly know about that? Um, so the first thing would be uh, an acrobatics check to see do they trigger it and everything like that. Um, I set the the DC fairly high for a low level. I set it at twelve, mm-hmm. so kind of like a like a like a moderate to, to high moderate uh, depending on which character is going in there, right? The the rogue. Uh, who's not very strong and won't be able to carry very much of the gold and might have to go more than once, uh, will probably beat that acrobatics check. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Og, the barbarian with seven intelligence, who weighs 300 pounds because <laughs> he's seven feet tall, unlikely to make the acrobatics check and more likely to go ahead and fall in the water, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he might be able to carry all the gold in one shot, but he's more likely to go ahead and fall to the floor. Um, and then the the other thing uh, on top of that was like, okay, so if we're going to give them an acrobatics check because this hole is going to emerge, um, you know, how difficult would it be to kind of ascertain that that's the situation and that that's a possibility? Um, so I put a, an investigation check DC on that uh, if the players ask, mm-hmm. you know. So I think the acrobatics check is one that they get. The inf- the investigation check is one if they ask, right? And so we got those two different kinds of uh, two kinds of challenges there. Um, uh, and then uh, the effect of the trap itself. So they wind up in a tube that's 50 feet long. Uh, it's only one five foot square wide. So you've got this this aspect of containment, um, which I know is one of Lee's favorite uh, situations, being uh, being contained in small tight spaces. Mm. So uh, glad to see that we had each other on our, on our <laughs> minds uh, uh, as we designed these traps. Thank you for that. <clears throat> um, and so, uh, yeah, you're welcome. Um, and so I said, okay, if if this were me and I wound up at the bottom of a 50 foot chasm in the middle of the ocean, I mean, first of all, I can't swim, so I'd be dead, but that's, I got you. Um, uh, I said, okay, so the first thing, first thing, first thing that we need to do is figure out, um, how long can that player, how long can that character survive in that situation? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I came up with this, what I thought was kind of an interesting mechanic and said that they make a constitution save. Um, and then for, 
for uh, whatever value they get over a DC of five, um, that's how many rounds they can survive underwater, right? Um, again, some of these numbers are, are kind of, mm-hmm. they're, admittedly, they're somewhat arbitrary. Um, and I'm, so I'm not sure. That's one of those that I would have to play test and kind of see, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kind of see how it works out. But I'm thinking, you know, your average kind of tier one character is probably, you know, um, they may be, again, it depends on which class is going in there, whether they're proficient in constitution saves or not. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but they're, they're going to add two or three. Um, and so as long as they're rolling and, uh, you know, uh, 50% of the time, they're going to have eight to 10 rounds to get out of the, get out of the pit, right. which I think, you know, that's probably reasonable. Um, and there's the distinct possibility that if they fumble, that they're just, that they're really in a bad way, which mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I'm, if I was walking across boards and they splintered and I fell into a pit, that's legit. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Try to be realistic about it. Um, you know, and then I, I put things about, you know, how quickly can they crawl out of it? Um, you know, it's sharp rocks and everything like that. So they're taking damage as they try to crawl out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then kind of the last thing is once they kind of get out of this pit, they still are underneath the boat and they still need to go ahead and find their way to the surface. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, checks to kind of see if they can figure out where the hole is. Um, and again, kind of gave this interesting mechanic where they can make a check every round to see if they can find the hole that they fell through. Or they can just try to swim around the boat, and uh, the there's basically it's a, it's a d6 roll to see how long it would take them to swim around the boat, mm-hmm. uh, and if they have, and so that kind of gets into this um, this sort of resource economy, right? Like yeah, how for many sure. Ra- how how many rounds do I as a player have, uh, and can I afford just to try to get around the boat, or do I actually need to get out the hole that I fell through like right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how that's kind of how I approached it. So. Excellent. No, that's that's fantastic, and I I really do like the um that constitution save to determine how long they can hold their breath. And I think you know you probably are going to get some players who are like, oh well, the rules say I can hold my breath this many rounds because of my constitution score. But it's like, no, you're you're being taken by surprise. Like that yeah. ruling is for if you're like diving into the water, right? If you right. are walking along and suddenly the ground falls out from under you into this pit full of water, like you're going to lose some of your breath in the midst of that. It's, do you have enough time or the awareness or the constitution or the fortitude to, you know, get a deep breath and hold your breath for, you know, long enough to get you out of this scenario? No, I I think that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And uh, you touched on something that I did as well. Uh, You touched on the fact that in addition to the check for the physical, this trap is hurting you or you're falling into this trap these things are happening, there's the trap, the, the check to notice it. Like what can, information can you glean about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and does that give you the ability to avoid this danger? Um, I put that into yep. everything I do. And I think you phrased it perfectly. Uh, the constitution check or the dexterity check, that's what happens. The investigation check, that's what the players mm-hmm. ask for. Um, and I think that that's exceptionally yep. well done for sure. And it rewards players who are careful, who are thinking, who are playing in game. Um, if you have characters who are, who play rangers or scouts or whatever, whatever the it is, and they ask a lot of those environmental questions, this is a tangible reward for the player who does that on a regular. Yep. 
Yeah, because I wanted to make sure and reward them. Like if they are investigating the situation properly mm-hmm. and they're and they're succeeding. Um, so right in the in the check that they can make that acro- that initial acrobatics check is made an advantage if their investigation check is successful. So they get information about the environment. And you know we've said this before that D and D five is structured in such a way that rolling more dice is always better than rolling less dice <laughs> if you're trying to succeed on something. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like and, and like and like disadvantage is kind of the opposite rule of that. Right. Right. It's like, okay, in this case, rolling dice is bad. But in general, me as a player, I want to roll more dice than less dice, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it, it gives a kind of that opportunity to do that. Awesome. Yeah, I think I, I kind of built a similar thing uh, into my uh, my trap here where I just sort of give the the party the ability to help each other out um, in in the yep. midst of the trap, right? So, Lee, if you're all right, I was I'm going to go say, and dive that sounds like a segue about, if I've... Uh, mine here, and then we can circle back. Yeah, I, I, yeah I was going to say, that sounds like a great <laughs> yeah. segue if I've ever heard one. So hop, hop on, get it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for that one real quick. Yeah. Um, and, and Mike yeah. is throwing to himself. All yeah. Right. All right. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I think the, uh, the that idea of sort of, you know, how is the party going to work together um, to figure, you know, to spot this or to uh, help themselves out in advance is absolutely vital, but also sort of like, you know, in the midst of things happening, how can they help each other out in this scenario? Um, so it's similar to you, Josh, I came up with the scenario first and then sort of built a, a trap to happen in that in- environment. Um, and I did sort of have a little bit of an idea of, you know, what I wanted to do here. So I wanted to come up with something that would uh, in a sense, separate the party and, you know, have one player dealing with one aspect of things and then the rest of the party dealing with something else, but in a way that's sort of related to um, each other and what each other are trying to accomplish, right? So my scenario here is, you know, the players are nearing the bottom of an ancient pyramid. Um, they're, you know, trying to explore and get the pharaoh's gold or, you know, whatever mystical item is locked away at the, the bottom with the, the rest of the, the pharaoh's treasure. They enter a room, a wide chamber, torches in the corners burst to life immediately. On the wall uh, opposite the entrance is a series of pictographs uh, depicting the long dead pharaoh and the treasures that he was buried with that lay, lay just beyond the door ahead, you know, a door in, in this wall uh, that they're facing now. Uh, it's locked, of course, um, and there is a unique key, and that key is the only thing that is able to open this door. And this is stuff that they can kind of glean from the pictographs without really any sort of check. it's It should be pretty clear that that's the goal here to the party, right? Um, however, they see sitting in front of this door a pedestal with several pieces of gleaming metal arranged on top of it, and it's pretty clear that these pieces fit together, but not immediately how they're going to do so, right? Um, and then also just along the wall, there are a ton of coffins just sort of lining the rest of the walls of the room, you know, maybe 20 coffins or so, however many is necessary for, for the scenario for you guys that's or for your party. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with what I came up with here. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I designed it to be a major setback and potentially deadly, um, depending on the level of the party, obviously what I have put together is uh, pr- pretty high level. You'd probably want to be around like 10 to 15 to be able to survive this, uh, survive this entirely. And then the higher level, obviously the, the, the you know, the easier it's going to be for you there. Um, but essentially, you know, the, the trap, the trigger for this trap uh, is when a one of the players interacts with the pieces on this pedestal in in any way. So they they go up and inspect it. They're close enough that they can maybe pick up the pieces. Um, 
But what happens is a wall of force pops up encircling the player who triggered the trap and the pedestal. Um, and that character has to succeed on a wisdom saving throw or kind of be enthralled by this puzzle um, and have to spend all of their turns trying to solve it. Um, on a success, they're not enthralled by it necessarily. They can use their actions however they wish, um, but they are still surrounded by this wall of force regardless, right? And it kind of works the same way as the wall of force spell. So yes, there are things that can dispel it, etc. cetera, um, but it's still sort of blocking them off from the rest of the party. The instant that this happens, the um, coffins that line the wall all start to shudder and shake. And, you know, undead hands sort of burst out and these mummies start crawling their way out of the coffins and start trying to attack the party. Um, so it, it is a, it's a kind of a mix of like a puzzle encounter and a combat encounter as well. This is definitely something where you're going to need to roll initiative and determine, you know, what's happening for everybody on, on each individual turn. Um, and. Meanwhile, the, the the party is, you know, fighting off this horde of zombies, or not zombies, but mummies. Every time they kill a mummy, a new one will crawl out of another um, uh, another coffin somewhere else in the room. So it's just sort of this constant onslaught of mummies coming out and attacking the party until the person with the uh, the puzzle pieces can put all of their puzzle pieces together in, in, a, in the right way. Um, now I think, you know, if I was playing with a party in person, I might like have a physical puzzle like that I hand to that player and just kind of let them do that on their turn. Um, but what I've written down here is, you know, it's, uh, basically dexterity checks to try and fit all of the pieces together in the right way. Um, and on a failed attempt, the room gets filled, like washed over with necrotic damage, constitution save to take, you know, all of it or none of it. I, I put 2d10 here. Um, so if you have a higher level party, you might want to crank that up a little bit, kind of depending on how they're doing. But, you know, it's just it's not the, the necrotic damage. The point of that is not to kill the party outright. It's just to kind of soften them up as all of this is going on. Right. Um, so essentially, you know, the mummies are coming out. The players trying to make these deck saves um, to try and put the puzzle together. And then once the puzzle is ultimately solved, it's going to send a flash of light out releasing the wall of force and taking out any additional mummies that are still standing. Um, kind of the goal being that, you know, mummies are just kind of coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, until this scenario is resolved and the puzzle yeah. is solved. Um, so some, some sort of like countermeasures or ways to go about, you know, interacting with this puzzle. Obviously you, you give the, uh, the player with the puzzle itself, three successful dexterity uh, checks to try and solve the puzzle. I put the DC pretty high at a 20. Um, yeah. And the purpose of that is because the party has ways that they can help him out, right? So in the midst of them dealing with all of the mummies or, you know, if the, uh, the, par the person with the puzzle is able to uh, pass their saving throw and not be enthralled, you know, they can check out the pictographs that are on the far wall, make a perception check, investigation check, you know, whatever, maybe like a DC 15. So a little difficult depending on, uh, you know, the, the individual uh, player there, but um, they can basically gather clues that give that player um, help, 
they give gives them a plus two bonus to that dexterity check because they're like, oh, well, I see this clue here. So, you know, ch- try doing this thing this way with this little puzzle that you have in your hand and you get a bonus to that. And they all sort of accumulate. And there are three such clues that can be found. So, you know, ultimately, you can give that player a plus six bonus on their dex checks to try and solve this puzzle. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it kind of involves that sort of unique way of the party being able to work together. But there are also these waves of mummies that they're having to deal with as yeah. well. I gave a, an option for sort of like trapping the mummies if as they're starting to break out. Um, and and, and I, I set it up in such a way that the party should never be totally overwhelmed by the, by the mummies. There should be a number equal to the number of characters plus one. So it's like... A little unbalanced, but not incredibly so, right? And a party with, you know, high-level parties, they're going to have spells like Fireball or whatever. They can wipe out several of them in one go. But then at the top of the next round, more mummies come out. So they keep having to have, you know, there's this, this like, yeah. loop of uh, uh, actions that are, are taking place there. Um, and then, yeah, ultimately, you know, once the party's able to kind of put a lid on some of the mummies and take some time, like kind of checking out the pictographs, they can help out their friend and get enough clues together to be able to solve the puzzle pretty easily um, yeah. after they've done all of these other things. Right. So it's this kind of like intense scenario. But, oh, we got all we figured out how all the pieces work together. So now we can do this thing and and we're all done and hopefully made it out alive. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I so I really love the way that this was structured with the way mm-hmm. that you sort of isolate one player. That one player is the one that's responsible for making the checks and doing the thing. That that they're really kind of on the hot seat, and even though they can be helped with the other with the other players around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. That sort of divided, uh, divided uh, attention, right? Like, yeah, yeah, divided focus. Like, do we do we take an action to read the pictographs? Uh, or do we fight the mummies? Right. Kind of what's the, you know, what's kind of the, uh, what's our immediate need this turn? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, know, and and that's a choice that would be changing turn from turn. And, you know, Hopefully, you know, in theory, your your rogue is the one that is jumping up on the pedestal to try to put the thing together. Right, you would hope. Maybe he's but, not. You'd hope, but, you know, like, again, <laughs> Og the Barbarian with seven intelligence. Yeah, you know, like that's, you <laughs> or know, maybe, I you know, change. the cleric with a minus one to dex for whatever reason is the one that's <laughs> trying to... Well, like, oh, no! One of the things yeah. that yeah. I thought, because <laughs> I thought about that, I'm like, so, wow, yeah. how does this narratively fit into, like, so many cool aspects is just the fact that all these mummies that are coming out are all the people who have failed. Like, the necrotic, like you could, um, you could, uh, you could, you, you could, um, yeah, the that's necrotic a, I hadn't even as, considered that as, as he hit, yeah. as the necrotic damage, they become a bit more desiccated. Uh, and, and like you can tell, like, and all of a sudden, like, bandages mm, mm-hmm. start wrapping, yeah, that's starts great, forming yeah. around their clothes. Oh, it's like gorgeous. this wave of energy is turning him into another one of these mummies, like. I, you know, I'm like, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's fantastic. I, 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 you know, yeah, I'm I like, just, glorious. It, I just like, I, you know, that, that was what kind of rolled into my head. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely uh, going to in- include that when I use yeah, this. Uh, and then uh, we're going to have to talk trap, about how so, it works because yeah, I'm for sure. fitting to use this within two weeks. So I, <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, awesome. and so it, <laughs> If, if if you haven't picked up on that, Lee Wanika will steal any good idea. That he hears. <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah. that the nature of being a DM though? Like you, we're all constantly and, 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 stealing from each other, so totally. that's just how it works. So, so. I, yeah. I was um, my 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 bachelor's and my master's are both in music, actually, and so okay. um, one of the one of the and I only say that as the precursor for 
there's a quote by um, Stravinsky, the composer, the great composer, right? Um, and it goes something along the lines of uh, good composers yeah. borrow and great composers steal, right? Yep. Yeah, and, so it's kind of that. And, uh, and, and I, of, uh, and as I'm fond of saying, it, it rogues gonna yeah, rogue. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rogue, rogue. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Indeed. So. Uh, yeah. So Lee, tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, what you came up with there. Then we talked a lot about our mechanical and like sort of uh, physical traps, but seems like you had something that was a little bit different. So I'm very interested to hear what you got there. Yeah. So I uh, titled this one "Tis But a Flower." Um, and the idea was that this is a trap that can be located in a forest or a jungle, some kind of natural environment. However, I was thinking it would also work if it was in some kind of overgrown arboretum, thinking about Candle Keep, uh, mm. uh, or, or located deep within a, a wizard's tower that might be partially destroyed and the environment kind of flowing into a, a destroyed portion of the building or whatever, maybe even a sorcerer's mass. Um so there's lots of ways it can kind of be input into different places. But that's kind of my thought. The idea was it's a natural environment. Mm-hmm. And to kind of set the stage for this or the scene for this, my thought is that the party should be looking for a place to rest. They're looking for a spot that would be safe to camp. Um, mm-hmm. And on face value, this will look like the right place. Um uh, a simple DC check, uh, nature check, or survival check of 15. Uh, I think even for lower level, it's likely that if your party has anybody who does this thing, 15 mm-hmm. is going to be more than reasonably gotten to. I think that's high enough where it's not easy, but it's low enough where you're most likely going to get it. And if you don't, mm-hmm. the DM can fiat and say, it looks like it'd be pretty good. Yeah. This might be a safe place. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you can basically get them into the area. Um, as far as the size of the area, it can be pretty much anything you want, but I'm definitely thinking a rounded grove or circular type of room that's roughly 40 to 50 feet wide, uh, or 50, 40, to, 40 to 50 feet uh, in uh, diameter. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, the, and the idea with this is that... Um, the walls, other than whatever the entrance is, are roughly 40 feet high. And they're basically thick bushes. It's almost like a, a large boma is kind of the idea behind it. Um, so it's safe nice. from external intrusion. And that's what makes it a really good safe place to camp, right? You don't have to worry about anything getting in at you. Um, and Very enticing. In the center of this area is going to be a hole in the ground. Uh, and that's really where this comes from and where, where the trap really takes off. Um, I would also say the characters are going to notice a very sweet smell of flowers. Uh, and then that should entice most players to check. Like, what do we know about it? What kind of flowers? They're going to ask those types of questions. And it's really up to the storyteller to really lay it on thick in that description as far as, oh, it's beautiful. It's lush. The grass is, is Flush and it feels very soft. Um, and then the smell, the smell of these sweet flowers just permeates the whole area. And they're like, well, what are they? What, what do we want? That's where you throw at them the DC check. Again, nature survival. I'm saying mm-hmm. around 15, figure it out. Um, but also, especially if people start talking about those flowers, uh, arcana or religion can be used, same DC. And mm-hmm. the idea is that Nature of survival, they'll know that these can be uh, useful in creating pulses or solves. 
um, arcana or religion will reveal that they're used in um, ceremonies and rituals, and they can also be used to replace the material components of healing potions. And that's the carrot. That's the thing that the players are going to want. Mm, that's mm-hmm. going to make them want to go after this. That's what gets them to go into the, the trigger. Um, now, as we set these up, we talked about the threat level. And that's where mm-hmm. I kind of said the threat level for this particular thing is very dependent on the level of the characters. If you ran this mm-hmm. for low-level characters, this is going to be hard or even or most likely deadly. A tier one, this could be very deadly. Um, t- higher tier one or anything in tier two, it's probably just going to fall in the hard category um, because the DCs are fairly easy to get to. Um, but again, it's stuff they're going to want. And in tier two, you want healing potions. You're going to stretch out for healing potions. And so the idea is the smell is coming from that hole in the ground. And when they look in that hole, very deep, about 30 feet below, right where the light can just hit it, there's a patch of these very special flowers. That's where the smell is coming from. Anything that breaks that pain where they get more than an arm, uh, about more than an arm length down, that's what triggers the trap. And when the track is triggered, the ground in the entire grove gives way and drops to that 30-foot level. And that's where the danger comes in. There's falling damage here. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, it, it, but it's gradiated. If you're at the hole, you're falling twenty. You're you're falling a full twenty feet plus two d ten uh plus two d ten feet uh after that because. The ground is giving way, so you could fall fast, hit the ground, and roll with the ground, so you may not fall the full straight 30. So, But it, you will, if you're at the center, drop at least 20 feet. If you are on the sides so or closer to the edges, you're going to fall 10 feet plus 2d10 feet. And then use standard falling damage to figure out how much damage there is. That's not enough to kill most parties. Mm-hmm. Unless you're very right. early on, one, levels one through three. Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, tier one. Like, yeah, that, that wizard could hurt. Yep. <laughs> For sure. That, yeah. You know, that can hurt. Yeah. But the idea of this trap is that it's magical. It is not totally natural. So once mm-hmm. everything collapses, the thickets around cover the entire way up. And it's angled, so you could climb out. But those thickets are, are filled with thorns. And those thorns are doing 2d6 piercing. Plus one d six poison damage, uh, and you can uh, 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 and you can save for half, uh, half damage. But anytime you're basically okay. in it, you're taking damage and you're risking a con save to take on the poison condition. So it makes it harder once you're hurt. Um, yeah, for sure. And, poison is yeah. brutal in fifth edition right. for and, sure. And that's where I think, uh, and that's kind of where I stop because that's where like anything else I do. Um, changes it from just the trap. That's the trap. Now, how mm-hmm. you set the trap, why you right. set the trap. If it's a legacy, like it's just there, um, that's all it is to it. This is something that's going to mm-hmm. harm. It won't necessarily kill. It'll be a challenge to get out of. It'll be a challenge to deal with. Um, however, the spell choices that people use can get people out of there. Teleporting, uh, misty step. There's ways out of this. I didn't lock the door, per se. Um, so there are ways out of this. Uh, but Anything you do crawling through the thorns, whether you're walking or climbing, you're taking damage to do it. And then you've got mm. that poison condition. So these are things that people have to think about their choices. How do they intend to yeah. do this? Does somebody burn the thorns to clear away? They can do that. All these things. However, at higher levels, put a monster at the bottom. Yep. You're, 
you know, have this done, but then or have a monster watching it. So now spiders from the top yeah. of the trees, now that they're thirty foot in a hole, drop down on webs to take on the party. Or or <laughs> rather yeah. than spiders, um, you know, have like have like a shambling mound uh, embedded <laughs> in the walls or something like that. Because like, I mean, shambling mm-hmm. mounds in yep. fifth edition are scary, deadly, awful creatures. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, yeah, yeah, and and even at higher levels, they can be yeah. they can still be tough to deal with because yeah. of some of the effects uh, that I they really, have. So absolutely, it's like they hit you twice yeah. and oh, you're restrained, and now everything you do is. I, I really like yeah. so, uh, how you brought poison yeah. in too, because that was one of the things that I thought about with my trap is like how I I cause I'd initially had mm. um that you took levels of exhaustion as you were starting to climb up, um, and that really took it from something that is is tough and potentially deadly to like, no, this, this is going to kill mm-hmm. you. You will not make it out. Um, and so I ultimately, I, so I stripped the exhaustion condition out uh, of that trap altogether. Cause that was just like, it was one thing too much. Um, but I really like the way that you yeah. use poison mm-hmm. in this case. I, I think that, 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 that's really, uh, that, that's, that's really, really nice and elegant. Well, yeah. One of the things I love about this, because it can be put in different kinds of ways and you can drop it into different types of scenarios was the fact that, if your characters are on the road, this is, and the key is they're looking for a place to camp. This is after a day's walk. This is after a whatever. Mm-hmm. In theory, if you had an actual adventuring day, they've expended resources in the fight. So you may not yeah. need to add enemies, yeah. right? If they've expended their heals, if they've expended their spell slots uh, already, now they're just in it, right? They're just in this thing. And now yeah. it's, what do you do? Sixth level or not, what do you do at tenth level if all your spells are gone and you're right. down to twenty five hit points? Let's say you survive <laughs> this. Mm-hmm. You, healing word means you roll down to the bottom because your ass died climbing up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Somebody else can give you the healing word and you're still at one hit point. Get out now. Yeah. You know these are the. Do, do you camp at the bottom of this thing? Is that necessarily safe? You know, I think the, yep, right, these are right. some of the things that co- that that come to pass. I almost looked at this as like a non-sentient or a non-living Venus flytrap, and, mm, and, mm-hmm. and which was really the inspiration is like here's this thing, and then it comes in, and now you're trapped, and it's and the teeth are all on For the sure. outside. How do you get out? Uh, yeah, and, and depending on when you put this trap in will greatly alter how its level of difficulty. Yeah. Uh and I and I and I think that's important to know. Yep. Yeah, I I uh, I love that you likened it to a Venus flytrap because that's actually when we were talking about like putting some sort of creature or monster uh, in the base of this thing at higher level for for her higher level parties. You know, that's kind of immediately what I thought of is there there are a ton of examples in like video games and stuff like that where there's this plant that is a Venus flytrap essentially, but a oh, massive, yeah. right? That that was kind of what I thought of being in the center, right? Like yep. those those nice smelling flowers are there as like a little bit of a lure <laughs> to get the players to come down and trigger the trap. And then there's oh hey Venus flytrap monster it's here that's going to eat Venus you, flytrap, yeah. um, or even just like just kind of littering the the area with bones as well when the when everything collapses and everyone can be like <laughs> oh shit like we're in it now yeah, like, oh, <laughs> we thought we were getting some some stuff for our heels but yeah. no <laughs> there's something else that's, well, that's <laughs> I had even thought about I had really thought about having it littered with bones that were sharpened and point pointed 
and oh, such, yeah. such yeah. that when you roll down, now you take you could if you fall down versus walking, you could take uh, right. piercing damage or yeah. whatever. Um, I find, especially at higher levels, it is harder and harder to damage players. Yeah. Oh, right for sure. So putting choices and conditions like you can go this route, but you are guaranteeing that you're taking pain to do so. Um, right. That and and creating those softened up conditions. That's what I like about the fall. It's like you're not going to get everybody mm-hmm. for a lot of damage, and it's not significant damage. Though you could mm-hmm. scale this up easily if you wanted it to be a little harder. Like if you were a particularly hardened third third tier party, you could add a d- add, you know add ten feet to to each dice level and then or, or right. drop yeah. level and then add a d ten to each each one. So it's two d two d or three d ten feet and four d ten feet. Yeah. On top of twenty mm-hmm. and thirty, to guarantee some some serious damage there. Um, bearing in mind that at third tier, if you've got a monk or a rogue, they're probably taking very little damage. If they take twenty, I'd give less. You know, you always keep those yeah, things in mind for sure. I, you know, but at the same, yeah, there, there are all kinds of ways that the wizard is going to you know yeah. cast feather fall or whatever yeah. and save everybody Absolutely. from that. But but, but if walking yeah. on the ground, just walking on the ground is going to create yep. damage, that's a whole level of difficulty. Yep. That increases the challenge level of this of this track. Yep. Um, like I said, if you put in sure. monsters, increases the challenge level. If you put in if mm. you know, hey, maybe the uh, maybe the draconians or the dragonborn or the kobold that know about this natural trap, uh, or this supernatural trap, take advantage of it. And they're at the top of the forty foot mm. walls, raining down arrows. Yep. yep. Or the drow. Yeah. And they could, and, 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 and yeah, or the drow. And then they bungee in and take your crap. You know, these are all kind of ways to adapt yeah. the basic trap very easily, and why I think it fits into so many. Systems. Yep. I I like this one a lot. Yeah. I, oh, I, that's I, wonderful. I know exactly how I'm going to steal this one. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh I, I actually I'm I'm might be stealing this as well. I have uh yeah. sending the party into a wilderness encounter here in the not too distant future. They're they're actually in the midst of, you know, trying to avoid some social traps right now, interestingly enough. So I won't I won't say too much more because Hannah plays with us and she's our editor, so I don't wanna spoil things for her. Yep. Um but yeah. <laughs> uh no, that that's uh, excellent. Yeah, I think we all came up with some really uh, interesting and, and unique uh, traps here, and and kind of building in all of those different aspects that we talked about, as far as you know, design and inspiration, and the different aspects of of each uh, each trap and all the different pieces that kind of all fit together. Um, and it was very it was great to see how we all sort of took those basic ideas and ran with them in completely different directions. So, oh, yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, uh, yeah. I guess as any uh, sort of like parting words of wisdom to our listeners here today, you know, anything that we haven't covered or anything that you want to make sure that we really, you know, hit home uh, as a message for, for today. You know, I think, I think traps like anything else, you know, so I, I kind of, I said this at the beginning about how, you know, they are, they are in the storyteller's toolbox uh, and they're not right in every situation. They're not right for every game session. 
you know, make them special. Make them, make them, if you're running kind of a narrative-fueled campaign, make them special, make them topical, make them appropriate for the characters that, that you're using in. Uh, you know, if you're, again, if you're running a Gygaxian dungeon with a trap in every room, that's kind of a separate animal. <laughs> um, but, you know, but, but mm-hmm, they right. can really be a very effective part of your narrative. Um, you know, just, just don't overspice. For sure. So what you're saying is that traps are not the garlic. I don't want to put a ton of them into my recipe. Right. Then. There may be more of the uh, yeah, the, exactly. the nutmeg. Yep. Yeah. Um, to kind of bridge off of what Josh, what Josh just said, um, if you had a trap in every single session, two things would happen. They would expect it. You would eventually, even though there are 1,500 of them or what right. have you yeah. that we know of, um, you know, plus the three we just made, start with our three, just so we get it before people get bored. Um, but, uh, <laughs> right. you know, but at the, but within a very short period of time, like, I don't think you get 10 sessions before people are tired. Yeah. Unle- right. Unless sure. you're running that Gygaxian dungeon crawl, which everybody agreed to at session zero, mm-hmm. right? So unless that's what people agreed to at session zero and they said, yeah, I want it. Don't do that. Don't put it in every single adventure. Help it make logical sense so it's fun and, and, and when it happens, they get it. But it's also exciting when it happens. If you are, if you have a campaign that spans ten sessions or ten sessions, one or two traps is all you're ever going to need. Yep. If you have a campaign that spans twenty mm-hmm. sessions, three, five, four, five, maybe four, yeah. thirty sessions, yep. five, maybe yeah. six. You don't want to be running 10 different traps unless you're running 50 or more sessions. You know, if mm-hmm, you kind of keep mm-hmm. that kind of ratio to it, people will be excited and they'll remember them. That's the key. If we're building a scene. We want, not every scene is going to be memorable, right? Table things happen to mm-hmm. make different scenes memorable. But if you, if you don't want your traps to be memorable, we have to have all of the elements we talked about. They have to be a threat level. It has to be a challenge. It has to be skills. The party has to work together. They have to do things. Otherwise, it's a slog of the DM just wants to make, take away some of my hit points, so I'm not ready for the big bad mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. didn't bother to build well enough to fight. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and since that's what you're yeah. trying to avoid, make your traps special. Yep. Build them up nicely. Build them in. See the trap like things, the social traps or the other things while you're at it. And that fills mm-hmm. those gaps. So when you do something like this, it really stands out because that's the goal. Make this type of thing stand out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I've learned anything from, you know, talking to y'all today, it's that every uh, every time you're going to create a trap, you need to sort of think about the context yeah. that you put that trap in, right? So whether it be just compared to the sheer number of traps that have already taken place within your campaign or the setting that you're putting this in particular, you you have a scenario where your players are at and you want to find some ways to, you know, to trip them up, to slow them down, to, to hurt them significantly, to block their path, things like that. Like these are the things that you're, you're starting with is those building blocks and kind of going from there and taking all of these other aspects into account as you're doing so. 
Um, so yeah, awesome. Thank you guys so much for, for coming uh, to the show today. It's been really great uh, chatting with you all just, to, you know, just about <laughs> in general, but about the traps here specifically as well. And now I have some new ways to go and torture all of my friends. That's really the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I want to also just yeah. give you all a minute to, uh, you know, talk a little about yourselves, kind of plug, um, you know, wh what, uh, what you guys have there as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll step away from the mic and kind of let you all, uh, well, take control first of all, here Thank you so much for having us on Mike. We love doing this. We love having people come on our show. Uh, so we're going to have to go ahead and work out having you come on at some point, uh, soon here. Uh, so we can go ahead and have oh, another, sure. uh, another fun conversation. Uh, we love going on other people's podcasts and, uh, and everything like that. Um, you know, so this has been a ton of fun. Thank you very much for the invitation. Um, so how can, how can your listeners find us at Tabletop Journeys? So uh, you can go directly to the website, uh, which is www.ttjourneys.com. Uh, you can see all of our blog posts. You can see all of our, our podcast entries uh, right on there. Um, and we, uh, like every other podcast that's out there, we put it out to every aggregation service. That's, so if you are on Spotify, if you're on iTunes, if you're on Audacity, mm -hmm. or not Audacity, if you're on Apple, wherever, you can. I'm sure that you can find us. And if you use a podcast service that you can't find us, please let us know. Uh, we will get there. No problem at all. Um, the best way to, so there are several ways to kind of get in touch with us. Um, uh, we're really active on Twitter. That's at TT journeys. Uh, we also have uh, a Facebook group. So if you just search for tabletop journeys, you can find, uh, our community there and that the Facebook community is really active. There's a lot that goes on in there. So, uh, you know, if you want to talk more about, uh, about how right we are or how wrong we are on some of our episodes, that's the perfect forum to do it. Uh, there's plenty of discussion about that on there. Um, uh, not to, not to mention Facebook also has contests, yep. uh, polls, yeah. like when we, there's different topics that we want audience, feed, audience feedback as to as far as what the next topic is going to be. Uh, all of that mm. will be on Twitter and on the uh, Facebook. Facebook yep. So we're all, we're yeah. always looking for input. So, so if if you join both, you can vote. If you join both, you can vote on both. So you know, vote early, vote often, right? Um, uh, you can always <laughs> go ahead and drop yes. us an email. Uh, also, just at podcast at ttjourneys.com. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's been yeah, great uh, having y'all on here. It's been a really excellent conversation with both of you. So thank you so much for, for coming on. And definitely, yeah, if y'all want to you know, have me on to talk about some other random yeah. uh, tabletop stuff here, absolutely. Just let me know and I'll, awesome. I'll be there at the awesome. drop of a hat for sure. Um, and yeah, a absolutely. Let's make it happen. And yeah, we'll we'll find a way to uh, you know have you guys back here. Maybe have Glenn on sure. um, as well, since I know he wasn't able to make it today. So, um, but yeah, uh, thanks so much. Um, and for all of our listeners here, um, uh, just as a fresh uh, uh, refresher, um, if you want to uh, you know get in touch with us here, you can reach me um, at nineteen hits the dragon uh, via Twitter. You can also email us uh, nineteen hits the dragon at gmail.com. Um, but also just please, uh, you know, leave likes, ratings, reviews, wherever you can, wherever you get your podcast and uh, tell 19 of your closest friends. Um, but uh, once again, th guys, thanks so much for coming. Thanks to all of our listeners uh, for joining us for this uh, this journey here today. And we'll see you next time when 19 hits the dragon. Bye bye. That was great. That's an awesome tagline. <laughs> yeah. That's badass.